Good evening. Um, I, I came across a story this week that I sh- thought I'd share with you. It's about a woman who went on a missionary trip uh, to, off to uh, Kenya, and she spent some months uh, exploring uh, uh, missionary work with a certain organization in Kenya. And she got to right at the end of her trip, and it was her final day. And she was going to visit a, a medical center uh, and see some of the work uh, that this medical center was doing amongst the the Maasai people. Uh, She was quite astounded uh, by what she saw and what she experienced while she was there. And one of the things that really struck her was the singing. Uh, There was a group of Maasai women in this medical center who were gathered together. And as they gathered, they just started singing these beautiful songs uh, in incredible harmonies. And this woman was just overcome by what she was hearing. She was overcome and she started to praise God uh, for the worship that she was experiencing uh, amongst uh, these women. And she wanted to be able to go back to her home uh, and tell uh, the people that she lived amongst uh, what she'd experienced. But she couldn't obviously understand uh, what these women were saying. She wanted to be able to share some of the worship that she was experiencing. And so she turned to the woman who'd taken her there and she said, please, you know, tears were running down her face. She was so overcome. And she said, could you tell me uh, a, a translation of what these women are singing? And the woman turned to her with really solemn face and said, if you boil the water, you won't get dysentery. <laughs> Wake up, people. <laughs> We all make mistakes. That woman made a ridiculous mistake. I've got to tell you about a mistake I made last Saturday. I was driving uh, through the Yorkshire Dales, and if you've ever driven through the A65 on the Yorkshire Dales, it is a beautiful road, but it's one of those roads where, you know, it's like 41 minute, then it's 60, and then it's 30, and then it's 40, and then it's 60 and 30, and yes, you've guessed it. I went 46 in a 40 mile an hour speed limit. But then what was even worse was that I got the letter uh, from the West Yorkshire police telling me that I'd broken the speed limit. But it says, you know, you get this 10% extra and an extra one mile an hour. And so the limit was actually 45 and I was 46. And I thought, brilliant, I've always wanted to go on one of these speed awareness courses that you can exchange for. So you don't actually have to pay your fine, you can go on a course and learn about speed awareness and I thought brilliant that'll be really good educational experience they don't do them in Scotland I could not believe it I was invited to one in Yorkshire I'm not going to go I'm just going to pay the fine we all make mistakes don't we some of us make you know minor errors like driving too fast I don't normally do that I haven't done that for about 20 years um, some of us make more public Uh, mistakes that affect ourselves, that affect other people. Uh, Sometimes we fail in dramatic ways. Sometimes we fail perhaps in more hidden ways. We make those sorts of mistakes or we deliberately do things that we know about and nobody else knows about. But they're the sorts of things that might prick our consciences. They're the sorts of things that we really don't want the people that know us to know about. They're the sorts of things that actually, if we're to really admit it, affect our relationship with God. 
And tonight we're going to be thinking a little bit about David. We're going to have our reading in a few moments. But before we have our reading, uh, I just want to tell you a bit of the backstory of David. We find that he gets himself into a pretty sticky situation, and you might know the story already. You find it in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, And at this point in David's life, he's king, he's been the shepherd boy, he's done the whole Goliath thing, and he is king, and he is a mighty warrior king. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find out that it's springtime, and that's the time where normally kings go to battle. But for some reason, and we're not told why, David hasn't gone to lead his army into battle. They're all off but he's back in Jerusalem. He should have been on the battlefield with his his people, but he's not there. He's at home, and maybe he's at home and he's getting a bit idle. He's getting a bit bored. He's looking for something to do. Maybe his mind's starting to wander. But one evening, he couldn't sleep. And so he gets up and he goes for a wander on, on the roof of his palace. And he sees a lovely lady, Bathsheba. It's his wife's neighbor, and he sees her, and she's bathing. The Bible tells us David sees her. I think that's so interesting. Isn't it often what we see, what catches our eyes, which can cause our downfall? But Bathsheba is gorgeous, and instead of averting his eyes from the edge, he, he, he goes after what he sees. He abuses his power. He asks his servants to bring Bathsheba to his house. And yes, you've guessed it, he sleeps with her. And yes, you've guessed it, that even though he is king, because this sometimes happens to kings and prime ministers and presidents, he gets Bathsheba pregnant. But she is married to Uriah, who's out at battle, his neighbor, And so he gets himself into this complete pickle. He sends for Uriah. He brings her back. He spins all these lies. He tries to manipulate the situation. uh, And he digs himself into this huge hole. And it gets to the point where the only thing, the only way forward he can see is to send Uriah back into battle, but put him right on the front line where he knows that Uriah will get killed. And yes, he does. He meets a grisly end, and David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. It's shocking. A web of deceit, a web of lies uh, that lead to a whole cacophony uh, of uh, consequences that result in David ordering the murder of Uriah. But following a courageous and gracious rebuke from a prophet named Nathan, you can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David comes to face the reality of the mess that he is in, the mess that he has made. And he cries out to God. He writes a prayer of repentance. And Georgie's going to read it to us now. You'll find it uh, in the Bible, if you've got a Bible on your phone or you've got a real book in your hand. It's Psalm 51, and Georgia's going to read it to us now. Thanks, Georgia. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash away all iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my saviour and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thanks, Georgia. So we're going to explore uh, some of what's happening in this passage, this prayer that David writes. You might want to keep that open, uh, that passage, uh, Psalm 51, if you've got it in front of you. So first of all, David does three things. He repents, he receives forgiveness, and then he asks for God to renew him. So we're going to explore these three things over the next few minutes. So first of all, repenting. David plunges straight into this prayer with the reality of the situation that he's in. He's desperate. He's raw. Uh, he needs God's forgiveness and he needs God's renewal. And so he says this in verses one to five, I need your mercy, God. I need to be forgiven. I need to be washed clean of my sin because my sin is all around me and I can't escape it. I've messed up big style and I've messed up over and over again. The reality of his situation is being laid bare before God. David's starting point is to acknowledge his sin before God, to actually admit that he's done something wrong. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to do, isn't it? How often do we try and cover our tracks, try and blame other people? Sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is put our hands up and say, yeah, I've got it wrong. I've messed up. In Romans 3, 23, Paul summarizes the human condition like this. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Not just the murderer or the burglar or the baddie or the abuser, but all of us as humans have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Put another way, God is holy and we're not. God is holy and we're not. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I wonder if a lot of us struggle with uh, praying for forgiveness, acknowledging our sin, repenting, because we struggle actually taking responsibility for our sin. If you think about it, you know, sin is not sexy. I said that in the vestry. Um, sin is just not a sexy topic to talk about, is it? It doesn't make us feel warm and cuddly inside. We don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. It just doesn't feel nice. It's not cool. You know, it doesn't make us warm and fuzzy inside. It doesn't sit well in the culture that we live in that tells us that we can be anything that we want to be and we can do anything we want to do because sin, the concept of sin is saying, well, no, you can't because actually that's what makes it sin. There must be a line in the sand somewhere or other. And yet we struggle with this whole concept of sin. And I think we could summarize why we do in two ways. We enjoy it and we minimize it. We enjoy sin and we minimize it. Think about stuff that you might class as sin. Most of it actually appears quite enjoyable on the surface, doesn't it? It gives us some sort of temporary pleasure, whether it's that feeling of power over somebody when we've gossiped about them behind their back or squished somebody back down to size, or that feeling of superiority we might get. We enjoy it, and we convince ourselves that as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, then that's okay. So we enjoy sin, and that's why we don't like to admit it. And also, we minimize it. We make it really, really small and minimal. If you think about the culture that we live in, we live in a, a blame culture. If you come around to our house for dinner, it's usually quite fun. It's usually quite loud. Things often go flying around our dinner table. You know, there's often like glasses that get spilled in the middle of dinner as somebody's gesticulating, telling a story. That's usually me. Uh, gesticulating, telling a story, and a glass might get knocked over. What's the first thing that happened? The person that knocks the glass over doesn't go, oh, I'm sorry, I've just knocked that glass of water over. No, they say, oh, so-and-so shoved my arm and caused me to knock the glass over. We live in a blame culture in little ways and in big ways. We don't like to take responsibility for the things that we do wrong, for our own actions, whether it's the small stuff or the stuff on a global scale. And maybe as Christians, we minimize sin because maybe in the past we've been aware that the church has made sin so massive, it's dominated who we are. And that doesn't sit well for us when we believe in a God who is love. And so we downplay sin. We make ourselves a little bit more mainstream. We know that God is love. We know that God is faithful 
despite what we do. And so because we know that God ultimately loves us, we minimize the fact that God also calls us to live lives of holiness. God loves us. God is faithful to us. But he also calls us to live lives of holiness. And so we need to be ready to acknowledge our sin, the stuff we do wrong against God, against other people, against ourselves as well. And we need to be ready to repent of our sin. Maybe some of us here tonight are living with a deep sense of unease at the moment. You might feel really uncomfortable about something in your life. Maybe when you come to church, it feels worse. Or perhaps when you have a go at sitting down to pray or to read the Bible, it feels really hard to to connect with God. And what we can do is we can minimize what's happening. And we can actually decide that it's the church's fault. I don't connect with God when I come to church because I don't like the worship music or I don't like uh, that woman that pops up to preach sometime uh, or whatever it is. We minimize our responsibility. Or we might actually be feeling that we long to be close to God. We long to be close to God. We long to know his presence, to experience him. And yet we're not prepared to give up the thing that actually, if we're really honest, we know is driving a wedge between us and God. We're not prepared to hold out our hands like David did and acknowledge, I know my transgressions, I know my sin is always before you. Against you and you only have I sinned. There's a writer called Frederick Buchner, and he says this, to confess your sins is not to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the bridge. Our sins can cause this abyss, this chasm between us and God. But when we're prepared to confess them and say, yeah, I've messed up, the very things that cause the wedge or the abyss or the chasm between us and God actually become the bridge that we can walk over and reconnect with God over. And so how do we do this? You might be thinking, well, how do we do this like saying sorry for our sins or confessing our sins? Well, Psalm 51 is a brilliant model of how to do it. And a friend of mine, uh, she is a bishop in England, and she tweeted this week about how, uh, you know, the government have said that we should uh, sing happy birthday twice through while we're washing our hands because of the coronavirus. Anyway, what she says she's done is she's put up Psalm 51 because she's timed it and it's the same amount of time. And she's put it up by her sink so that when she's washing her hands, she's saying the words of Psalm 51. We're in Lent. We're in a time of repentance and confession. What a brilliant way, a habit to get into uh, of just bringing our confession, our sorry prayer to God every time we wash our hands. We're all washing our hands a lot at the moment. I tell you, we're going to be as white as snow. One thing that I do is this thing called the prayer of examine. 
Now, I, I find it really helpful, and I'm going to explain how I do it, but it's probably not exactly right. I was talking to this uh, woman in our church who's actually a spiritual director, and she says there are actually 10 ways of doing the prayer of examine, so I'm probably not that far off. Uh, but this is what I do in order to just regularly like, cleanse myself and confess uh, my sin to God. Uh, in the prayer of examine, uh, what I do is that at the end of the day, usually when I'm about to drift off to sleep, and I've put my phone down, Um, I just close my eyes and cast my mind through my day. And as I do that, as I let my mind wander through my day and remember some of the things that have happened, I give thanks uh, for the people that I've spent the day with, for the things that I've enjoyed have happened, for the different encounters and conversations, for the things uh, that have, have been great about my day. But also, as I cast my mind through the day, I become aware of my feelings. And sometimes what happens is I feel uneasy when I remember a particular encounter I had with Mark Cameron over lunchtime. And I think, oh, flip, I wish I hadn't said that to Mark. That was stupid. And it just gives me the opportunity to just say, God, I'm sorry. And then as my mind wanders through my day and I I remember about when I got home and I got cross with one of my kids and I can say, actually I don't very often get cross with my kids because they're obviously perfect, Zachary's listening. Uh, (laughs) um, You know, I can say, I can just say in that moment, God, I'm sorry for that time where I spoke out of tune or I thought that thing that I know isn't right and isn't glorifying to you and isn't holy. And I can just bring it to God in that moment. It becomes part of my everyday prayer. Pete Gregg, who founded 24-7 Prayer, uh, talks about how normally we don't uh, wait to shower until we're absolutely filthy or stinking. Well, some of you might do. Uh, But most of us don't wait till we're filthy and stinking to shower. What we do is we we shower fairly regularly in order to just get off the grime of the day. And it's the same with a prayer of repentance. Just doing it regularly, saying, God, you know, examine my heart. If there's anything not right, just show me what it is. Help me to live for you. I'm sorry for those things I've done wrong. It just keeps us right with God and with other people. And as we heard, confessing. Our sin becomes like the bridge to God, where we say, Jesus, I need you. And when we do that, we're giving God God the glory in our lives. We're taking ourselves off the throne of our lives and putting God back on the throne of our lives. We're saying, God, I can't do this life thing on my own. Because when I do it, I just mess up. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your Holy Spirit. And for some of us this evening, acknowledging our sin and repenting, saying sorry for it, is the most important thing that you can do in your life right now. Not only because it will transform your relationship with God, and I really believe it will, but also it could transform the relationship with somebody else. It could transform how you see yourself. Because we'll start to see ourselves as God sees us as well. 
and we'll start to receive the forgiveness and life and transformation that he wants to offer to each one of us. And so first of all, David repents and then he receives, he receives forgiveness, that inner cleansing. If uh, you go into the kitchen here at uh, P's and G's, or if you use it at all, you'll know that usually uh, every time it's used, the surfaces are sprayed down and wiped. We might get the mop out, especially on a Saturday night after soul food, and we give it a good once over. But every so often, the kitchen here at P's and G's needs a deep clean and so we get a special company in and they move all the the things out of the way and they apply all their supersonic chemicals and it gives it a really good clean it exposes the dirt and the dirt is cleaned David doesn't run away from his wrongdoing but he faces his failure he opens it up to a deep clean uh, by God And then he receives God's forgiveness. We can try and put things right ourselves, can't we? We might even cast the blame along the way. And I wonder if David has tried to do this. We know uh, that he actually marries Bathsheba, and I wonder whether he's married Bathsheba to try and put things right, to atone for what he did wrong. We try and solve our sin ourselves. And when we do that, it'd be a bit like treating the worldwide epidemic of coronavirus with a packet of paracetamol. It's not really going to be effective, is it? And so ultimately, David knows that to be truly clean again, to truly have a pure heart, he needs God to come in and to give him a really good cleanup and receive forgiveness. He says this in verses 7 to 9, "'Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean.'" Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He believes that God has the power to do this, to to cleanse him, to wash him, to blot out his sin. And on the cross, Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice for sin. And he could do that because he was pure and holy. There was no sin in him. And so when his blood was shed on the cross, he made it possible for our sins to be forgiven once and for all. We're given this amazing gift, this promise. We read in 1 John 1 this, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and is just, and he will forgive us our sin. He won't like think about it and maybe give us a reply on Tuesday or, um, or forgive us our sins, you know, if we go through this process. No, he says, I will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So what does that actually mean? Again, Pete Gregg puts it like this. It doesn't matter what you've said or done what you've thought about saying and doing, where you've been or who you've been there with. There is more grace in God than sin in you. And that's because of Jesus. That's because of the cross. I know that some of us get plagued by stuff we've done in the past. Maybe it might be last week, it might have been last year, it might have been 10, 20, 30 years ago. 
And we can carry around with us just like a weight of guilt and shame. And this passage reminds us that actually, because of the cross of Jesus, we can come and we can give it to him, and he will take it away. If we confess our sin, God is righteous, he is just, he will cleanse us of our sin. And some of us need tonight to just lay stuff down again and accept that forgiveness and know that as far as the east is from the west, so far has God taken our sin from us. And when that happens, Paul uh, in the New Testament describes it as the old has gone and the new has come. So the last uh, R we're going to look at is renewing. We're renewed or we're restored or we're recreated or any other reformed by Jesus. Part of our repentance is being open and ready for the Holy Spirit to recreate us, to renew us, to transform us. Uh, This afternoon, uh, one of the Scotland rugby coaches tweeted this. Most people want the convenience of transformation without the inconvenience of making the change. Most people want the convenience of transformation without the inconvenience of making the change. He was, of course, talking about the Scotland rugby team. But it struck me as a profound insight into our lives. Are we ready? Are we up for the Holy Spirit highlighting where transformation is needed in our hearts and lives? And then are we committed to change ourselves as well? In verses 10 to 12 of Psalm 51, David puts it like this, Create in me a pure heart, O God. He is up for change. He's up for transformation. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David knows that he needs to be cleansed and renewed and restored from the inside out. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. Create in me a pure heart, he says. He needs the Holy Spirit to come in and do some like serious heart surgery on him. Create in me a pure heart. It might be that I need uh, help with that tendency that I have to focus in on negative thoughts and emotions. Those things that build up within me and become deep irritations to me. And they can spill out into anger or really harsh words to, to somebody else. And we need to say, create in me a pure heart, O God, in that area of my life. Create in me a pure heart, O God, when it comes to that inner struggle that I have with my desires or lust or temptation. Create in me a pure heart, O God, in what I look at online. It's a massive issue. Our access to anything we want to see online. Creating me a pure heart, O oh God, so that I don't get into that pattern of destructive uh, thoughts and destructive images in my mind and destructive behavior in my body, in my relationships. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God, when it comes to that jealousy, uh, that mindset that where I believe that everybody is better than me or has it better than me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, when it comes to, to how I see other people and I'm jealous about their friendships, jealous about their job, jealous about their promotion or their house or their clothes or their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it is that builds up and overtakes us. We all have stuff going on in our hearts that we just need to bring before God and not just confess, but ask, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Help me every day, transform me every day to be determined, to be steadfast, to live the life that you've called me to. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. God, I need your Holy Spirit. I need you to transform me and renew me. And in the New Testament, Paul talks about this stuff all the time. And in, one, in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, he puts it like this. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Repenting, receiving forgiveness, being renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But do you know what? It doesn't finish there. Because David, last R, responds. He responds. And he responds by going, God, I can't believe that you are going to do this in me. I believe that you are going to create in me. I believe that you are going to give me a new heart. I believe that you've cleansed me. And so then he has like this overflow of worship in verses 13 to 19. He says, you know, I'm going to go and tell others about what you've done. And my life is going to be a life of praise and worship. He says, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. And then he says, he asked God to keep him humble as well. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. His response to the forgiveness that he receives, that bridge that God has created for him to walk across, is for him to step onto it and give his life as a life of worship to God. We know that, you know, David doesn't have a perfect life from that moment on because he's a human being. But he is ready for God, the Holy Spirit, to come and transform him every day. He's learned what it feels like to be broken. And sometimes when we're broken before God, and then we receive his forgiveness, and we're put back together and restored and renewed and transformed, it means that even when the going gets tough, even when we face temptation, even when we do sin again and again and again, because we will, we'll know what it feels like to receive that forgiveness, to be put back together as David did, and then to step out and live a life of whole life worship to him. And that's what really we've been focusing on uh, the last few weeks in our sermon series. We've been talking about how to live lives of whole life worship, but sometimes that begins with repentance and deciding to live a life of holiness, 
as countercultural and as difficult as that might be. We're going to stand together now and we're going to respond firstly by just being silent in the presence of God. So why don't we stand? The band are going to come and play and we're just going to, as we stand here, there might be something that just resonated with you as we looked at this passage tonight. It's an incredible passage. If you've still got it open, you just might want to read it again through on your phone or, your, or, or in your Bible. And just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. There might be something that you need to confess and say sorry to God for. Or it might be that when I spoke about actually holding on to guilt and shame, you know that you haven't let that go. And that actually you just need to, to say, yes, God, I receive your forgiveness. I know you've brought, brought this for me through the cross. And just receive it and know him speaking those words of forgiveness into your life. So we're just going to have a few moments of quiet prayer. And then Paul's going to come and lead us. <laughs>